Hey, podcast listener. Are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. That's the reason why we double the fee, because we bring on additional resources, because we know we'll have additional time. And it's also been at the request of our clients. Our clients have asked us to double our fees because they want to get from zero to 60 as fast as possible. Welcome to Epic Business Growth for CPAs. My name is Geraldine Carter, founder of She Thinks Big Coaching. This is the place to be if you're a CPA who wants to grow your accounting practice. Weekly episodes are full of strategies and action steps that create a clear path for growth without working harder. Time to get inspired and grow your business. Hello, listeners. My guest today is Adam Hale, co-founder and COO of Summit CPA Group. Summit CPA Group is the leading provider of virtual CFO services in North America. They offer virtual CFO, controller, and transaction-level services remotely and at scale, and Adam works with his team to deliver the best possible virtual CFO services to their clients. I wanted to have Adam on to dig into the art and science of pricing and delivery of these services so that you can learn his hard-earned secrets so you can serve your clients better and at a higher level. Adam Hale, welcome to the Epic Business Growth for CPAs podcast. Thanks for having me. So we're going to dive deep today into pricing and your fee structure and the challenges that you help your clients work out. This has been a long journey for you and Summit CPA figuring out a pricing model that really works for you and works for your client. And I want to start with, what do you think at a high level is the most important thing that you've learned along the way when it comes to these pricing levels for your clients? The main thing is, is there's just a lot of trial and error. I don't know if there's one thing that we've learned. I would say that you have to give options and then giving the control to the client has been probably the most insightful and beneficial thing. Um, You know, personally, and maybe it's just a reflection on how uh, my partner and I are, but personally, you know, I, I really don't like the concept of you know, something costing based on the ability to pay. And so I know a a lot of customers feel that way. You know, whenever you walk into somewhere, somebody can kind of size you up and figure out, you know, what's your ability to pay. And then they kind of figure out what to do from that point forward. You know, I prefer being able to do my research, see what I'm going to, to buy. And it doesn't matter if it's me or the person down the street, we're going to pay the same price. I'm not saying that a lot of CPA firms do that, but it feels that way sometimes to a customer just because the the quoting process can be in a little bit of a black box. So they'll come to you and say, hey, I want this, this, and this. And they're like, okay, yeah, I think we can handle all that. I'll get back to you tomorrow or next week or whenever. And then you deliver this price. And then there's this like 
shock and awe moment that happens down the road. What we've wanted to do is be as transparent as possible with that process. One, we want to we want to show up front kind of what some high averages are just so they get a feel for it, um, just so they know what range they'll probably be in. And then we allow them to customize their own plan and see the price as they go. We've seen a really um, great response from that. Clients being able to pick and choose. And you can kind of see what they value as you walk through that process. And it's interesting to see, you know, early on in the conversation, they're saying, well, this is important to me. And then whenever they start to price it out, that sometimes can change. I love this. And I love this piece about transparency and the price is the same for you or for the guy next door. And and feeling like you're not being taken for a ride, right? Because nobody likes that feeling. So what's the process like for being able to, when you're sitting down with a client and you're in the pricing conversation and choosing what level they're at and what services they may or may not want to include, what's that actually look like in terms of their ability to pick and choose? Yeah, it's there's still a little bit more of an art than a science to it. However, we do have a um, we have a spreadsheet. It's pretty rudimentary. Um, what a typical engagement looks like whenever we get on a on a call with a prospect is, you know, there's a few minutes of the back and forth, get to know each other, just personal stuff, and then we dive into a little bit about their business, what's going on, their history, so we can kind of get we can gauge. Um, you know, I, I can already tell because I've been on the, the call enough times, I kind of get a feel for what they want or don't want whenever I'm talking to them. And then after we've kind of walked through that, they're like, yeah, it'd be great if you can get, uh, you know, a price for me. Let me know. It sounds like because then I explain what we do and what that process looks like. And they're like, fantastic. I, you know, just let me know what that that looks like. And I'm like, just hang tight. If you've got a few minutes, I can show you. I can share my screen and we can just build it together and put together some options. And so what we do from that point forward is we have uh, we show them four different columns and every one of our services are value based and they're driven and changed based on the size of the company. So no perfect science there either. We just assume the bigger the company, the harder the, the work could be, the more complex it could be, I should say. And so we, we do that. And then for some of our other services where we do things with, um, whenever we do things with payroll, you know, headcount is also important, another driver. And so what we'll do is we'll pull open that Excel spreadsheet. We just tell them, hey, it's super rudimentary. Everything's value-based bill. We work on a flat fee basis. Uh, There's no time commitments. And then we walk them from top to bottom. We say, hey, here's our core services. Here's some additional add-ons. That's usually like the back office. And and again, during that conversation, we've already got a feel for it. You know, are you, do you have a, a really good back office person or not? It sounds like you don't need help with accounts payable or you don't need help with accounts receivable. So we start turning those things off. Then we get down to the optional stuff like tax returns. Hey, if you've got a great tax preparer, it's your uncle or whatever, and you love working with them, fine. We don't have to turn that on. And then what you'll find is like once you build out that base model from what the conversation looks like, then you go over to plan B and the client's like, you know what? Actually, my bookkeeper's probably not in the right lane. You know, what if you took over payroll or what if you added accounts payable? Um, My tax person, I'm not married to him. What if you added tax returns? And then by the time we're done, we've built out two or three different scenarios and they can look down in real time and see what the weekly fee and the annual fee is going to be. And then they can kind of pick and choose. And that's whenever, you know, you can kind of find out what their budget is. So a lot of times if you ask a client, 
you know, what's, what's your budget for this? You know, they're just, again, going to look at you like, great, you're just going to build me something that <laughs> is what I think it's going to be, right? So you have to be super careful whenever you do that. And one way, uh, I had a, a person that uh, gave me a good hint on how to uh, take care of that problem a long time ago that I use sometimes. And whenever you ask a client, you know, what's your budget for this? And they're like, well, I don't know. You're like, okay, well, you think I'm like 150,000, 200,000, <laughs> you know, just like shock and awe I'm right out of the gate. And they're like, oh no, I'd never spend more than 50. Then all of a sudden you got your price. Yeah. Um, so, so there's tricks around that little piece. However, um, being able to build it in front of them, like I said, you'll see them take things away and add things in order to get to what they feel comfortable spending. And do you think they come in with already knowing if they want virtual CFO controller or transactional, or are you walking them through the differences between those services and what they typically include and don't include at a high level? Yeah. So during the base conversation, explaining what we do and how we work, we explain what those three are at a very high level. And then whenever we jump into that, um, that pricing tool that I was talking about, I show them the difference between transactional controller and CFO right on the screen. I just toggle things on and off, but I explain to them based on our conversation, this is the one that I'm recommending. So a lot of times I'm not generally giving options between transactional controller and CFO. It's more about variations within CFO or variations within controller. In some instances, there will be a variation of two of them, but I've never I don't think I can ever recall a time whenever I've given all three services side by side. Okay. Out of the gates or pretty early on, you can tell which lane they're most likely to fall into. And then from there, it's a matter of toggling on and off the individual services like payroll, accounts receivable, and so on. Yeah. Because right out of the gate, we kind of tell clients, transactional service is probably not what you're going to want to come to us for. Mm -hmm. That's not really, you know, that's a pretty traditional write-up service that you could get from any CPA firm. So you wouldn't be really leveraging much of our value add. And we're probably too expensive compared. You can probably find if you're looking for that commodity-based write-up service, you can probably find it cheaper somewhere else. So we're very upfront with that. And is that intentional to try and not get that kind of business? Yes. Because you want to drive people into controller and virtual CFO. Yeah, just because that's where the value add is. That's where we're able to have a deeper impact in the relationship. Again, not to say that there's not value in transactional service. And we have some clients that are in transactional service. It's not like we're opposed to it. But in terms of being able to have those advisory conversations, they really happen um, at the controller or the VCFO level. Gotcha. And when you start out with these, or when you show them the controller VCFO transactional potentially columns, are you starting out with some of these, the more detail level services already in the toggled on position and then toggling them off to save money or vice versa? Great question. And yeah, my personal, um, my personal way of doing it is I usually have everything turned on because okay. again, I just want to shock a little at the beginning and just say, Hey, yeah, like this is $130,000 service. Yours isn't going to be that way. Based on the conversation, I peel back from there. Yes. Much easier to take things away and lower the price than add them in. Yes. How did you figure out how to price for the things like paying bills, invoicing clients, cash flow management, the stuff that's a la carte? We screwed it up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, quite frankly, we just, we underpriced. I mean, I think that's the, the history of Summit for years. It took us a long time. I mean, some of it's, 
you know, some of it's, uh, and I think every contractor, every professional kind of has this, you know, always thinking they can do things faster than they really can. Yeah. And so some of it was like, well, yeah, there's that. And then there's the value-based model of, you know, how much would somebody pay for this service? You know, that kind of a thing. I think you're always hard on yourself as a, as a professional. Mm -hmm. Um, You always try to like bring that down to the lowest value until the point where you can't really afford the to leverage people and do things. And so for us, it was, it was just a matter of, you know, it took a while for us to kind of get caught up. Um, But the realization, whenever we looked at like value-based billing is we looked at the fee that it would cost them if they had that person in house. And we used that as our baseline. Um, And we worked off of that for all of our value-based billing. And we show them, you know, Hey, like every business could use a bookkeeper an accountant, a controller, and a CFO. Most small businesses can't afford all those people. So they end up getting a bookkeeper that can't really be a controller. And then they hire somebody more expensive who's a controller. And they're like, hey, how come they're not my, can't, you know, help guide direction and, and, you know, be that CFO. And it's like, well, because they're just wearing different hats. What we're able to do is offer our clients each piece of that at a fractional level, you know, one week they might need more than the other, but being able to have that entire team, there's just a tremendous amount of value there. And so what we do is we've kind of like fractionalized those expenses and then, you know, apportioned it that way whenever we built out our model. And it seems to work, you know, we watch our job profitability um, as I recommend anybody doing, um, especially with flat fee pricing it can be problematic. Um, we watch that and we look at our average bill rate and make sure that we're, we're staying above par on all of our clients. So do you track time per client with your staff and stuff? Yes. Even though we're fixed fee. Yeah. We just want to know where the resources are going. Okay. You know, so we don't do it to like tell people, Hey, you need to work more, work harder. What we do that for is whenever we're assessing um, what's going on with the client because, and again, it, we're flat fee. So it's not like, it's not one of those things where we're going to charge the client more or less and adjust their bill next year and do all those kind of things. What we're looking for is opportunity for uh, automation and also delegation. So we're making sure the right people are doing the right things within the project. So we're just kind of doing resource planning more than anything else. I want to go over to the onboarding process because you and a number of CPAs I talked to double their fee for the first two months as they onboard and get caught up with knowing the client, understanding all the catch-up work and maybe messes that need to be cleaned up. And I'm curious to know at the controller and VCFO level, what's the sort of typical um, initial two to four months experience for the client? Yeah, it can be a little intense. So um, the way we work it is we double the fee for the first six weeks if it's a controller service and eight weeks if it's a VCFO. We do bring on an additional team. So we have an onboarding project manager. And then we'll usually have somebody from our tech side because it's a lot of um, connecting tools, building tools, building the forecast. So we definitely need the builders. And we kind of split in two directions. So part of the team's focused on continuing like today um, and moving forward, especially if we're paying bills or managing cash flow, you know, that needs to happen right out of the gate. And then the other half of the team is going back and, 
analyzing the data and building the tools. So we kind of split into, that's the reason why we double the fee um, is because we bring on additional resources because we know we'll have additional time. And it's also been at the request of our clients. Our clients have asked us to double our fees because they want to get from zero to 60 as fast as possible. And so during that first six to eight weeks, the client's usually meeting with us multiple times, especially I'd say in the first like two weeks, they might be meeting, you know, normally we would meet with a client once a week or so, sometimes twice. In this instance, we might be meeting with the client three to five times a week for the first couple of weeks. Um, maybe not the client, him or herself, but somebody else on their team because we're documenting process and trying to figure out how everything's working. What issues are they wanting to get cleaned up and addressed primarily or first and foremost? Uh, it depends. Uh, so some clients come in with with different issues. You know, some of them maybe they've turned over a bookkeeper or somebody like that, and they need help. You know, getting control of their accounts payable and their cash flow right out of the gate, um, and they know their process isn't really there. So they're looking for process. They're looking for somebody that's been there, done that. Um, other clients that come to us, they're just looking for direction. They need help. They've got the vision. They got the plan. They know how to run their business. They just you know, they're just kind of running without a compass. And so they're looking for us to kind of help point them in the right direction and make sure that they can get there. So that's kind of what we're focusing on, um, the forecast and then operational stuff kind of simultaneously. And when when it comes to forecasting and KPIs, what have you found over time are the most important metrics for them to be tracking in order to grow their businesses? That's where it gets a little bit snowflake. So the process itself, we always talk about being 80-20, you know, the whole 80-20 rule, 80% process, 20% snowflake, because every client's going to be just a little bit different in terms of their metrics. But the process or the methodology that you go through building the forecast is the same, regardless of your construction, manufacturing, service-based, it doesn't really matter. We have a pretty rigid way of, of building out the forecast and figuring out what those drivers are. So we start with revenue. Um, We do a deep dive into the revenue recognition process with our clients. We make sure we understand everything that they're selling, how they make money, any direct or indirect costs associated with that money. And we do a really extensive deep dive on any kind of lead indicators that we can find that are helping drive revenue. Those are the where we start with our foundation of our KPIs, build out the revenue model, and then you know your direct costs are pretty easy from there. And then you go through the, the overhead budgets and you kind of work through all of those to, to kind of fill out the rest of the forecast. Gotcha. And what are some of your favorite software tools for doing these things? The tool that we use the most and we leverage is uh, Plan Guru. So that's our forecasting tool that we use. That's really at the core of our delivery is uh, is Plan Guru. In terms of the accounting software and everything, we're pretty agnostic. And the majority of our clients just happen to be on QBO, use things like Bill.com or Expensify, those kind of tools for the more tactical delivery stuff. But in terms of the where we find the, the largest value add is the forecasting, that's Plan Guru. Great. And what would you say when you look out across your clients who by and large are creative agencies, right? What would you say when they don't have the best understanding of their numbers? When working with you, how does a better understanding of their numbers, of KPIs, of what drives revenue and growth, what shifts for them over time in their business? 
I think just the visibility and the security, uh, as you mentioned, um, a lot of times whenever you're working with the business owners, they, they get, you know, you always hear the work on the business instead of in the business kind of stuff. And we work with um, a wide variety and wide spectrum of clients that have different um, capabilities. Some of them are more financially driven and some of them are more into the operations. But I think what they get is a partner to help steer the ship. So we always talk about business. There's really no silver bullet with this. We can't just go to a client and say, oh, you've been messing this up for 15 years. You should have just been doing this problem solved. We're very um, upfront with the client and just let them know, hey, nobody knows your business better than you do. You have all the answers. Our role is to um, kind of be the co-pilot and help and help navigate the ship for you. So we're going to push back on you whenever you're wanting to go left or right and try to figure out, you know, why we're going that way, what the end goal is going to be, those kind of things. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that we that we focus on with the client, that it's going to be small little moves. And so having us be that co-pilot when something goes when something happens in their organization, whether they get an opportunity or, you know, they have a downturn in business or whatever, they have the comfort and the peace of mind that we've got the entire financial plan outlined that they can bring that to us and we can really quickly make a decision. Not a lot of business owners feel like they can, one, make that decision, but to make it confidently. And we're able to give that to our clients. We're able to give them that confidence to know, hey, this is what I should be doing. This is how I need to do it. And I just need to go execute now. What do you do when somebody is at the controller level, is starting to need VCFO services and you're starting to sense scope creep? How do you handle that? Yeah, I mean, I would say some of our CFOs are better than others at acknowledging that. Um, the thing is, is like whether you're in our controller level service or you're via CFO, you're going to have access to a VCFO. So for the VCFO themselves, it's really hard for them sometimes to just turn that on and off. The way we distinguish between our controller service and our VCFO service is you and I. Basically, what I mean by that is if you're in my controller service, I'm saying, hey, you should consider doing this. You should consider doing that. Why don't you think about doing this? Whenever you're in the VCFO side, it's I'm going to do this for you. I already built this for you. Um, that kind of a, a thing. So when we get into a situation where the client's asking us to do a lot of the heavy lifting on some of that stuff, that's whenever we just kind of take a quick pause and we say, hey, like, I think that you've grown to a level where I can take this stuff over for you. Um, you know, remember we talked you know, during the, the onboarding process, what VCFO looks like. I think you're ready for that. Let me show you. And because our quoting piece is so easy for anybody to use, our VCFOs will just pull it up right in front of the client and say, hey, let me do this. Or sometimes they just have a short sprint and they just need a little bit of help. Like maybe they're going through some M&A stuff. And what we'll do is we'll turn the VCFO package on for like a, usually a minimum of eight weeks. You know, we don't do it for like a two-week sprint, but we'll do it for like a minimum of eight weeks. And that's how we'll handle those situations whenever scope creep happens. But typically, whenever the client gets to a point where they have a leadership team and they're wanting to have more frequency of meetings, that's whenever they need us to kind of take that ownership and lead with I instead of you. And it's it's pretty clear to tell the client, hey, I think you're ready for this next level. And they're usually like, yeah, please take it. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so if somebody wants to be 
more VCFO on their own as a sort of solo operator, if you will. Do you think that they have to have the full gamut of CPA kind of bookkeeper tax payroll subcontracted in-house, if you will, or can that person act as a liaison and simply interface with their client's CPA or accountant? Yeah. So you're saying, does, does, do we need it to be full stack whenever we, do we prefer full stack whenever we engage? Yes. Um, no, I would, in fact, I would say our preference is again, because where we find our value is, is more of clarifying direction, both at the controller level and the VCFO level, you know, so the forecasting is important. We do short-term cash flow forecasting as well. Uh, we use a tool called Finograph. It's amazing. Integrates right in with QBO and everything. It's more of like the short-term cash flow stuff. So we prefer directing traffic and helping with those bigger decisions. We backfill into the back office stuff as our clients need it. So preferably, they have a really strong in-house team and we augment that team. So the way it works for us is it's always at least a two-person team. And the senior accountant is kind of more of that controller role if we're in that VCFO package. Um, And they're the liaison for the internal bookkeeping team. So whenever they have questions about where to put stuff or how to book things, that kind of stuff, they're going to that person. And then the owner's partner is the VCFO on the account. And so that's what they focus on. So as a CPA, there's a certain level of training and you have to pass an exam and same, well, not quite the same for an accountant. You don't have to necessarily be a CPA, but VCFO, CFO doesn't necessarily have a specific training and a specific exam that you have to pass. So who are your CFOs and what sort of background and training do they have? Wide variety. In fact, it it works out a lot better than that. So I would say almost all of our CFOs are CPAs. Early on, we thought that was really important. Although I think in industry, you'll find that not um, not a ton of CFOs of, of major corporations are, are CPAs um, because it's more of a consulting role. You know, it, it becomes more business advisory than it does financial. You know, they usually have like an FP&A team and stuff like that to deal with. Um, so as we've gotten further away from the numbers in terms of actual core accounting, and it is more business advisory. I think the emphasis on being a CPA is probably less important. You know, that's that's probably not as big of a deal. I would say that uh, whether they come from private practice or industry, I used to always like people that were like shoebox accountants. I would tell you that was always my preference. Somebody that was used to getting a box full of crap that you know, half the pieces were missing, the other half, you know, there were some in there that shouldn't, that didn't belong. And they were used to just problem solving and working their way out of that box and, and putting a puzzle together. That was always my, my preference. But uh, as I found, um, you know, there are people that have specific backgrounds within different industries that um, seem to translate well, you know, just as well as having that general background as well. So it really just comes down to soft skills and their ability to consult and lead a client. And that's something we work on internally all the time. Comes down to soft skills and their ability to consult and lead a client. It's not just about the numbers. I love that. Um, I noticed that you don't include, at least you don't have it listed, succession planning. What do you, what's your conversation with your clients around either succession and or exit or sales kind of planning? That's really at the core of our forecasting. So we always tell clients, um, you know, right whenever we start out and we're doing the forecast, like, you know, plan with the end in mind. 
And so some clients are like, what are you talking about? I'm 42 years old. I'm planning on doing this forever. Or, <laughs> you know, hey, I'm, I'm only 55. Like, I'm not going to retire next year. And it's like, well, but I mean, like any other investment you make, I mean, you know, you're not just hopefully doing it for a paycheck. You've built a business, you're leveraging people. And so we're always asking them, like, what is the end game? What what are we going to do? Are we selling third party? Are we planning on selling? Because that kind of decision making can dictate the design of the plan. So that's important. We have that conversation right out of the gate. And then we do ask the client, hey, do you have a buy sell? Do you have life insurance? So we do have a personal CFO, our tax director. Um, he works with a family office that can help support um, the legal side of things, if they need help with a buy-sell agreement or insurance, those kind of things. So we do offer that service to our clients and we have a partnership that uh, will provide that for our clients, which is nice. But it's definitely a part of the conversation. Even before we were involved with a family office um, and, and supplied our clients with that, we were always in deep discussions. We would always ask our clients during onboarding, who's your attorney? You know, Who's your corporate attorney? Who's your estate planning attorney? And whenever they say, don't have one, don't have one, then we're like, okay, so... What's the game plan for for exit? It's so important, right? It does drive strategy. It dictates where, where you're trying to head informs how you get there. When you have a number of clients, you have your own, effectively your own data set. And I'm wondering when you look out across your clients, what do you think are the most important keys that are common to them that drive client success? You know, I think whenever we look at, um, you know, outside of industry and size and those kind of things, I mean, it really is just um, about making a personal connection. So we we have a certain just culture here. And whenever we find clients that kind of match up with that personality wise, that's what really the key. You know, we always we're always joking and, and just we're pretty, you know, especially for accountants, we're pretty fun. We're a pretty fun crew. And so we have a little bit of a, we make sure that our, our team brings that personality whenever we're working with the client. And if somebody's super rigid or, you know, isn't open-minded to taking advice, that client never really works out for us. So regardless, even if their needs kind of match up with what we deliver, we'll tell them right out of the gate, like if we're in onboarding and we're just not feeling the relationship or we're not feeling that they're going to be able to take the advice and act on it. We're not in it just to get that weekly check. We're, we're in it to help move the needle. And so those, those two things are important in order to do that. What do you think it is that moves the needle for clients? I think it's the forecast. I think it's the ability to show them what the future looks like and how they can make decisions today to impact that. I think whenever you are, again, the client already knows what they do and they know and they do what they do very well. What they don't know is sometimes how to do it purposefully mm. um, in, in order to get to that end goal. So I really do think in there's no science behind it, but it's, to me, it's gravity. When you put things on paper, it just has this ability just to subconsciously, the business owners start making better decisions. Even if they're not like constantly coming back and checking the math with me, they just, they have a feel for the plan. They know the direction they're able to make those decisions. And then whenever bigger decisions come, then absolutely we can math them out. But that's what I've seen move the needle the most is just getting the plan on paper and showing them how they can impact the plan with small drivers. It kind of works for itself. Getting the plan on paper and doing things purposefully rather than seat of pants and an element of willy nilly. Last question here. What are you most excited about going forward with your company? 
with our company specific, we just got so much going on right now. Um, I'm pretty excited about all of it. I mean, over the last couple of years, we've been able to elevate um, some of our team to director levels and just them kind of take ownership within the company and grow different pieces has been fantastic. We're right now we're focusing heavily on um, automation and dashboarding and tools. And there's some out of the box stuff. Um, you know, there's some softwares out there that a lot of people leverage. For us, we always want to just be a little bit deeper. So our IT team has been able to develop some custom dashboards for us and our clients that I think will be game changers um, for delivery. You know, like I said, just the evolution of all of our different pieces, whether it's marketing or 401k auditing, everybody's kind of got their own little passion project and just watching those directors run with all those different sections um, is, uh, has been exciting to watch and, and be a part of. Excellent. I love it. Adam Hale, thank you so much for coming on the Epic Business Growth for CPAs podcast. Thanks again for having me. Thank you so much, Adam, for coming on the podcast. What stood out to me in this episode was the idea that they decidedly want clients in controller and VCFO level services and don't really want clients at the transaction level. After all, transaction is labor and time intensive. While excellent guidance can happen in a short amount of time and add far more value to the client. If you want help building controller and VCFO level services to your practice, but haven't been able to figure out how on your own so that you can get your practice to the next level and get from 150 clients down to 15 with 60K or 100K annual engagements, I can help you make that transformation. Put 15 minutes on my calendar. Just go to shethinksbigcoaching.com and click on the big fat red schedule time with me button. You'd be surprised how much ground we can cover in that time. So I hope you'll take me up on the offer. All right, that's it for me. I will see you next week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.